Kim came to me and first kind of threw the idea out of um, the 25th anniversary of, of AIDS um, in, our, in our generation, in our time is coming up and uh, World AIDS Day is December 1st and World Vision's got a lot of ways that we can get involved and things that we can do and uh, it'd be really neat to do a service where we talked about that. And she came to me and she pitched the idea and, and I was coming out of my chair um, with excitement because for me when I got saved it was literally a decision to say I'm not living for myself anymore God all that I am all that I have all that I can be uh, I want to use it to make a difference in this world um, it's pretty simple my doing this being a part of this church and this community here what I what I do when I want to speak or teach comes down to I want to have a part in changing people's lives for the better and making a difference in this world. And so I've been really annoying for eight years on elder boards. And there's actually an elder in this room who's been on an elder board with me and he'll vouch for it. But uh, I'm very impatient by nature. And so I annoy elder boards. <laughs> And I push and I push, and, um, and a lot of it's probably my immaturities or my youth or different things like that. But on one thing, I know that God is okay with us being impatient. In one area when I push um, elder boards that we need to have a vision for making a difference in this world and being able to change lives. And we need to know what that vision is. And we need to know, and we, we ought to be able to measurably see that we're moving towards that. We're making a difference. Uh, when it comes to being impatient about that and pushing, I've always known God's on my side. Because when a ship is sinking and they send out an SOS, um, there is no patience on the part of other ships. There is no, uh, in six months, let's put together an exploratory committee about whether or not we should do this or how we can do this. Or maybe we can work it into the schedule two years from now, five years from now, to do a big benefit. Maybe we can raise money then. Or maybe after we hire this person, that person, and this person, then we can hire somebody that can do that for us. And we'll just kind of pay them to do that. And so there's been one area that I've always felt secure that, in pushing elder boards, I was, in some sense, hopefully, um, doing the will of God. And that's that we can't wait around to begin trying to change the world and make a difference. I don't want to. I'm getting old. A lot of you think I'm young. I feel like I'm getting old. And it takes a lot to get out and to try and change the world. You heard about 98 was the big difference for Bono. When was, when was it he made the cover of Time and, and this video? You know, it's almost a decade later. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of people. And that's why we have communities and teams that we can do this together. We can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. But I don't want to be a part of a church that is going to sit on its hands and think someday we'll maybe think about this issue. Someday, maybe we'll tune in the radio and hear a distress call or an SOS. 
or when we get enough money or when we get a lot of leftovers, then maybe we'll think about kind of sloshing some over to some. I, I can't be a part of that. I can only be a part of a group that is passionate about making a difference. I want to tell you a story. If you've got a Bible and you can see in this light, um, Isaiah 58, and you heard Bono quote it in this video, but I'm going to read it in just a minute, but I want to tell you a story first. I went to Clemson University, and I went there. Uh, the, the top reason was it had a top 25 football team. And that might sound like a joke. It's not. The, the top reason why I went to Clemson University was it had a top 25 football program at the time, and I wanted to be a part of pulling down goalposts. I actually uh, got arrested trying to pull down a goalpost, and no one else helped me. Um, it's, it's in the archive footage of a game at Clemson my freshman year. Um, that's why I went to Clemson, and I was excited, and it was, it was this huge school. And Clemson had this, this group called the Rally Cats. And this was the elite cheerleader core, okay? And they would come out at halftime, and they would do their dances. And the phone numbers of these girls weren't listed in the school directory for obvious reasons. They came with bodyguards. Um, these were, were like, when it came to the girls at school, I mean, this is as good as it got. And my junior year, I had a date with a rally cat. Okay? And so, um, you know, if you know my personality, you know I milked that for all it was worth. Um, and so I'm going to the movies with this girl, um, you know, me, her, and her bodyguard. And so we, I go and pick her up. And, and, you know, this, this girl was beautiful by every worldly kind of standard. And we go to the movies, and it's a college town with, a, you know, a movie theater. So even though you buy your ticket and you get inside, the line is just unreal. And so we're basically standing there in line. And this girl starts to just rip on people. I mean, just indiscriminately, just looking around the room and would just pick somebody out and just start ripping on them. I mean, and it wasn't like joke and sarcastic. I mean, it was like below the belt. And I'm, I'm starting to get uncomfortable. You know, I'm kind of like moving away, and I'm looking behind me and in front of me, and are people hearing this? You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed. You know, what are they going to think? And she kept at it, and she kept at it. And I was disgusted with this person. I suffered through a movie, took her home, dropped her off, Never called her again. I ended up talking to her a couple more times, just running into her around school. Never called this girl back. Because I was disgusted with her. But she smiled at me. And she joked with me and was nice to me. And all the things with me were fine. But the way she treated the people around her made me want to have nothing to do with her. And this is a passage of Scripture that's pretty haunting when we think about the implications when we come to Isaiah 58. And it says this, the title is called True Fasting, and it says this, Shout it aloud, beginning in the, the top of the chapter. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. De he's talking to the prophet here. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right. 
and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. We have fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. We have humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. God, we're smiling at you. We're talking to you. We want more of you. We're passionate about you. We raise our arms in worship songs. We carry our Bible everywhere we go. God, we're on fire for you. How come you're not in that with us? How come circumstances are going bad? And listen to what God says. Yet on the day of your fasting, okay, these people are giving up food for a religious fast for God, okay? They're sacrificing, supposedly. And God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? These people that have been passionate supposedly about God, God is disgusted with them because of how they are treating and how they are acting to the people around them. And so finally, when they kind of go, gee, what's your problem, God? God says, no, no, I don't have a problem. I'll tell you what your problem is. I'll tell you what your problem is. You see, we Christians are really good at bad math. Okay? We think that we got five out of ten things going for us. Great. Got five things going for me. You know, I mean, that's pretty good. That's something, right? Well, I might not be doing all this stuff for Africa or AIDS and the fact that um, a child dies every five seconds from this disease. And, you know, I've got statistics somewhere. I don't know where they went. Um, by the year 2010, there will be more AIDS orphans than the population of the state of Texas. Do you know that and this is by memory, 500-something thousand people die in the United States from cancer a year. I mean, we're all afraid of cancer. I don't care how old you are. Cancer in America scares you. Some close to 600,000 people in America die of cancer a year. Some 3 million-plus die of AIDS in the world a year. And we will look at that and say, I know I'm not doing anything about that, but I, I, I do a lot of other good stuff. I fast, and I 
Um, I go to church on Sunday, and, and I've got five out of ten. Five's better than nothing, right? That's our bad math because you see what God is saying is this. It's like the oil that you put in your, your lawnmower, right? You know, you got to mix a little bit of gas. I mean, the gas, you got to mix a little bit of gas with a little bit of oil, and then it makes the engine work. And so what we're good at doing is saying, hey, I got, I got gas. I might not have oil, but I got gas. And God's saying it doesn't do you any good. What's that going to do for you? Or you say, well, I got oil and I don't have any gas, but at least I've got the oil. That's not going to get the engine started. See, God's math is, I don't care if you only got one of these things. The math is you have to have them both in equal parts. If you really know me, if you really understand my heart, if you, if you really care about what I care about and want to please me and have a dynamic relationship, you're going to understand that these things come together. You can't have one and think that that's any good. You can't have the other and think, you've got to have them both. And if we do, this is what God says. If we're able to do these things, love our neighbor, clothe the naked, feed the poor, then your light will break forth like the light of dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then will you call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. I've met a lot of Christians in my life that have wondered how come my prayers don't get answered? I'm pretty, con I'm, I'm pretty convinced that with at least some of those people, the reason God isn't coming near and, and answering and hearing their cries is because they're completely missing the boat on what God made them for. At least some of them, I'm convinced. And it continues on and it ends this way. If we're able to do these things, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. The, the number one reason why we don't get involved in other, all these other things that have to do with other people because we haven't yet shored up our own life. I haven't yet got it together to where I'm happy and satisfied and fulfilled and I can't rest until somehow I, I get my life shored up. And then maybe I can go do this. And here's the counterintuitive part of God's kingdom. God's looking at you and saying, you foolish child. When you drop your human wranglings and efforts and go and love and serve, guess what? Then you're going to find your happiness and your joy. If you give away your life, what does the scripture say? They say, then you will find your life. If you try to save it, you'll lose it. If you give it away, you'll find it. So this morning, I was in the shower. Um, I call it uh, prayer time as I use up all the family's hot water. And it was really convicting to me. And, and the verse that God put on my heart was out of James. I'll read it in just a second. But we had two kids end up in our bed last night. My wife went to bed tired. Uh, that happens if you have kids. That's life. But I was sitting there, and I was, as a, 
as a man, as a father, as a husband, saying, my wife needs sleep. My, my wife has to be able to go to church tomorrow and do children's church. My kids need me. I, I don't know what to, they've already had an NyQuil. You know, that's all I've got. Um, I got to go to church and have something to say and, and, and meaningful. And I felt utterly helpless. I laid in bed and I cuddled with my daughters at different times and I felt helpless. And it was a horrible feeling. There was nothing that I could think of to do. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We need sleep, but it's just not happening. They're sick. I mean, there's nothing I can do. There's so much, so short a time before this morning, and I felt helpless. And I knew I was talking about this this morning, and I began to think, because I saw a video on TV. It was a documentary of Darfur where there's a lot of refugees right now because of genocide that's been going on there. And I was watching this on TV last night in this sermon. It was all in my head, and I was thinking, how would I feel if I was a dad in a refugee camp with my family? Second-guessing myself. Well, instead of walking to this refugee camp, maybe we should have walked somewhere else. Well, but it's too late now. We don't even have enough food or energy to go back to the starting point. It's, it's winter now, and the wind is ripping. We don't even have huts with walls that aren't just flaps, plastic. And my kids are crying and crying, and I've got nothing. And I thought, what would that feel like? And this was the verse God laid on my, my heart this morning. and says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. And he goes on. But, so you walk up on a guy, and he doesn't have any clothes. Wow, man, bummer of a deal. Um, best of luck to you. Wow, there's that many AIDS orphans? Whew. Man, this is a messed up world. Wow, that pastor outside of Johannesburg does seven funerals a week? When does he do his sermon prep? (laughs) I feel for him. It doesn't cut it anymore for me. So we've got to do what we can. This is what I felt like. I I don't get a whole lot of these, but I had one this morning. This is what I, I felt like God told me, and so... Um, on the God told me stuff, it's pretty easy for me to hop to and obey. And I felt like God said, Ken, I don't want you to spend a single dollar on clothes ever again. Christmas presents, fine, whatever. You know how many clothes I, I can choose? Pete's sake. So that's, that's not my decision. That's what I heard this morning for me. I'm not going to buy clothes for myself anymore. You know, someday these jeans will have holes in the knee and you'll think wow that pastor's real hip um it's not the case (laughs) so i can't get out of here this morning god wouldn't let me get out of here this morning i believe my kids coming to my bed was all part of god trying to talk to me i can't get out of here this morning with just faith and no deeds we're going to see another video clip right now and it's 
by a gal who's a local here in Bend that we're going to be partnering with and doing different ministries. Her name's Elizabeth Fisher, Beth Fisher. Uh, and she was over in U- Uganda, and, and I, she's gone right now. And so I asked her if we could watch her video and if she would just do an intro to it for us. And the whole idea, I want you to get this. She's from Bend. People in Bend can change the world or go into the world or make a difference. It's it's not just Peace Corps hippies from San Francisco. Okay? It's a global world, and we, even though we live in Bend in Central Oregon, we have an airport. Okay? We have the Internet. We can do things, too. Here's Beth's video. 